Welcome to Between the Sheets with Nick and Steph, a raw and honest exploration of all things sex, love and relationships. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Between the Sheets with Nick and Steph. I am Nick of Nick and Steph and I'm here with the beautiful Stephanie. Hi everyone, how are you doing? Um, so thanks for being here, thanks for following, thanks for being part of our little family on this podcast. Um, we, just for those that haven't really been following up until this point, I'd like to just introduce ourselves uh, and let you know who we are, what we do, what we're all about and why we're here talking about the stuff that we like to talk about. Um, do you want to start us off? Sure. Stephanie? I'll go for it. So I'm Stephanie Curtis. I am a sexologist and a registered nurse, and I offer guidance and support sessions for people who are facing challenges with sexuality, with relationships, and uh, yeah, give them a space to to work through some of those challenges so that they can find greater empowerment, embodiment, and freedom within their sexuality and sexual expression. Mm, sounds great and where can people find you stephanie-curtis.com that's Mm c-u-r-t-i-s and uh under the same name for instagram and facebook great yep and i am nick tovey and that is nick with a c not a k i don't do k's (laughs) (laughs) and nick tovey and i am a psychotherapist um, trained as a psychotherapist, but generally working as a coach. Uh, my area of passion and expertise and what I really love to work with is, again, relationships, intimacy, sexuality. And I've spent much of my work over the last 12 years working predominantly with men because that's an area that I'm really passionate about is helping men in this current age just be awesome blokes, awesome guys, awesome men in the world, awesome fathers, awesome partners, awesome contributors to humanity. Um, so that's a big area of my passion. But I also do work with women and couples and all different kinds of humans. Um, you can find me on nicktovey.com, N-I-C-T-O-V-E-Y.com, and Nick Tovey on the socials, on the Facebook and Instagram. That's pretty much all I do. Um... Also, just to mention, Stefan, I do co-facilitate, co-run, co-organize a festival in Sydney called Eros Festival. Um, Unfortunately, due to COVID restrictions, we weren't able to run the festival in 2020, but we're hoping and praying and (laughs) crossing all of our appendages (laughs) that... Uh, we're going to be able to run the 2021 Eros Festival uh, probably mid-year, August, September time. It will happen, I feel, in some format. It may not be the way that we've run it in the past, but it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I really feel strongly about it. Yeah, for sure. And so you can check out Eros Festival on erosfestival.com. Yep. All right, that's about enough of that. So what are we going to talk about today? Today we're feeling 
uh, isn't it? It's an edgy topic. As we, you know, what am I talking about? They're always edgy topics. <laughs> yeah, nothing new. <laughs> you know, when we're talking about relationships, intimacy, sexuality, all of the nitty gritty of love and passion and intimacy, it's fucking edgy territory. And this one is no shortage of edgy edginess, um, which is trauma and how trauma rears itself in relationship how we can be with trauma in relationship and what does trauma even look like how does it express itself how does it appear how does it arise and how do we face it how do we deal with it how do we um, be with our own and each other's trauma in relationships Mm. and trauma itself we were talking about this earlier and uh, I think it was on a podcast we heard trauma described as there's trauma with a capital T. And so we're talking about how trauma is this this thing that we experience that's very relative to our own experience. So it's we can look at uh, things that we have gone through and think, wow, that was really bad, that was really big. And for some people that wouldn't affect them, mm-hmm. for others it deeply affects them. So it is this thing that everyone has their own reactions, their own um, coping mechanisms to different circumstances and trauma is trauma mm. and we can judge the severity of it and we can you know think well oh that was bigger or that was that was more impactful than the other but that's actually not the case I think we all experience life in so many different ways we all have very different makeups um, in our body, you know, biologically, emotionally, how we were raised societally. And so we're all going to be impacted by different circumstances and experiences very differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see trauma as, as a spectrum in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, but I think it's like Stephanie said, it is, it's a very relative experience. One, one person is going to react to one set of circumstances in their own unique way and the uh, the next person may not you know i think uh an interesting sort of case study around this is looking at um twins and how twins grow up with you know not only the same family but the same genes and you you can have one twin respond to a certain situation in their family let's say divorce for instance um in a very different way than their sibling their mm. twin siblings so it is such a relative thing and it's fascinating and there's and there's really no um you know great scientific evidence for what leads a person to respond to a certain situation differently than another mm. um so it is it's an area of of therapy of life of psychology that is relatively new it's we're learning so much about it these days and there's some great research out there and and it is it's a new frontier in a lot of ways around how we deal with trauma how we treat trauma and how here we are you know as in relationship what we're wanting to talk about more specifically is not necessarily the scientific psychological aspect of it but how do we fucking deal with it when we're in it when Mm. we're when we're with each other in Mm. our trauma Mm. as it arises yeah and i just wanted to presence as well that we are 
in many ways, incredibly blessed to live in a day and uh, live in a time that we are, we have the capacity to actually look at these things. So earlier we were talking about, I was talking about my grandparents and the trauma of going through war and, and the, the repercussions of that to, you know, the generations after him and, and how he parented, how he was with his family and he, my grandpa specifically, he didn't have the capacity to, to be able to talk about these things, mm. to be able to actually even look at it. There was very much times before us have been in, I think, survival. You know, it's been about how do we put food on the table? How do we provide shelter to our family? And so, yeah, they, we actually haven't had the capacity to be able to confront these things before. And so we are in a privileged place right now. Mm. And and in that as well, I just wanted to presence that there's sometimes this, especially from, I, I feel it from older generations around looking at these things and it seemingly being indulgent, self-indulgent, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and, and almost like, oh, you know, you know, we all had those issues or we all mm-hmm. kind of, and it's actually, yes, we did, but we actually now can look at it and why not? We mm-hmm. want to uh, expand as a species. We want to... We want to change it and, and shift what's not working. And so, um, yeah, we, we're living in a very amazing time for that. Totally, totally. Mm. It's And I think you bring up an, a really important point to recognize is that we're not looking at, uh, you know, the, the generational trauma when we think about our parents and their parents and their parents mm. that, you know, we the last century ex- experienced, you know, the two great wars mm. um, and everybody's family in some way was impacted by that. Mm. Whether or not a family member actually went to war or died in the war or a mother lost their sons in the war mm. or husbands, um, that is trauma. That yeah. creates trauma and that gets passed on mm. through the generations. Mm. And even if it... it like we were talking about your grandpa, grandpa, um, it wasn't spoken about, you know, he didn't talk about his experiences in the second world war. And that is such a common story. And I've heard that many, many times, uh, from, you know, people's fathers having these, uh, essentially PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, but not having the freedom or the capacity or the, or the space to be able to talk about it. Mm. and share those experiences to be able to heal through them. Mm. Uh, So they're holding it on and often when they're holding it in, as we all know, when you're holding on to deep pain and trauma and and strong emotion, it's going to come out in some way. Mm. It will make its way out into the world in some expression. And when we're repressing and suppressing these strong feelings it's going to explode out in some other way, mm. in a way which is either uh, harmful to themselves or harmful to the people around them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, that's where we see domestic violence. That's where we see alcoholism or addiction to other substances. That's where we see child abuse often, uh, where people, parents aren't able to deal with the emotion that they're experiencing uh, and it gets let out on the people around them, the mm. kids. And, and uh, so, you know, here we are absolutely, like you were saying, we're in this really privileged time in history and very much 
need to acknowledge that we are, you know, fairly affluent, white, um, privileged, cisgender uh, people, mm-hmm. yeah? So mm-hmm. there are plenty of people in the world that don't have the privileges that we have mm. still today. Um, so I'm very grateful for that, and I always really acknowledge it's important to acknowledge that mm-hmm. that privilege that we do have, and most likely many of you listening have that same privilege. Mm. Um, but a lot of people still don't. Mm. You know? Yeah, and I think as well, what I wanted to say was um, whether this resonates for you personally. You know, you, you will know someone who has experienced a trauma of sorts. So this can be a, a resource not only for yourself, if you're experiencing and can resonate personally, but how to be with other people through their trauma, mm-hmm. especially in relationships. And, and, you know, we're talking about some pretty heavy stuff in terms of domestic violence mm-hmm. and things. So if you do need support, if, if listening to this brings up any emotion or you you need um you need some guidance or support or help then there uh, are a ton of resources uh, you can find online um in within Australia within the world so just yeah seek help if if you need if it stirs up things for you mm, yeah, yeah definitely but definitely. we can talk about more about what to that later to how to track, deal but, with it yeah. yeah for sure but um as you know you bring up a really important point is uh and also and I think it's a maybe a disclaimer to make is we're not yes I've got some training in psychotherapy Stephanie has some training in in mental health nursing and we do do the work that we do but we're not necessarily speaking as medical professionals here Mm -hmm. so if this is something that you are dealing with if you are facing up to really seek help don't necessarily go on (laughs) our advice uh this isn't a therapy session Mm -hmm. um so really do seek help um so I'd love to let's get a little personal here you know and look at our own experiences with trauma and and share a little bit about how that has played a role in our life and of course in our relationship mm. current and past mm. happy for you to go first yeah yeah okie dokie yeah. thank you mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> um and I and I I think it's also important for us to bring to the surface here the fact that this is probably not easy to talk about either. Yeah, there's going to be shit that we're <laughs> disclosing and speaking about, which probably brings up some emotion for me. I can feel that in my belly right now, a little anxiety as I'm about to uh, share some information here. But I think one place where I can go to straight off the bat is my experience with, um, with PTSD. So I had a trauma in my, when I was 22, when I was assaulted, uh, in a club by five bouncers and hospitalized nearly, well, it was life threatening at the time. Uh, thankfully I was able to recover physically, but what happened after that was, uh very very many strange ways in which i was responding to the world and feelings that i was feeling that i weren't used to feeling and um and eventually this this culminated i suppose into what i would describe as a bit of a psychotic break um when i was 23 um where i wasn't able to cope 
I just wasn't able to cope with my reality. I wasn't able to cope with the, the intense feelings that I was feeling that I didn't have the capacity to deal with or the knowledge or the, uh, the experience of how to deal with these strong emotions. Um, and eventually I got a diagnosis of, of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder and severe depression. And part of my symptoms from the PTSD was a deep fear of, uh, of violence, of conflict, a deep fear of men in particular, um, particularly men in these places of power, like security guards, police, that sort of uh, authoritarian, uh, powerful, not necessarily powerful in a good terminology, good way, use of the word, but people that like to exert aggressive power in the world. That terrified me. It scared me to death. I would go into deep shutdown where my nervous system would overload, essentially, and I would feel, you know, you've, we've all experienced anxiety, but this is anxiety turned up to the top of the dial where my nervous system was basically rendering me incapable of talking, of of moving, of uh, thinking rationally, of expressing myself to the point where I would, I would essentially go into what could look from the outside as a dissociative state, where I would sort of check out for a moment, where I, I wasn't able to really comprehend and deal with my, my current situation. Um, and that went on for, for several years in that sort of level of intensity. Uh, and over, over a while, over years of really choosing to look at this situation, look at these experiences, take some level of control of these experiences to the point where I wanted to learn, I wanted to discover why these experiences were happening, what I could do with it. Um, I started to get more, uh, I don't like necessarily to use the word control because I don't think it's something we should control. But what I, what I think it is, is more of a, uh, a mastery of our experience and to be able to be with those experiences and to self-regulate, to bring myself down to a, uh, a nervous system capacity where I can function. Um, and a lot of that really came down to learning meditation, learning different uh, tools to deal with my psychology and those times. Um, so yeah, the, the intensity of the experience maybe lasted a few years, but what I do know is that still today, it, it plays a part. It comes up for me. And the way that comes up for me, particularly in relationship, is if we have a conflict. Mm. If we have a situation where there is uncomfortable feelings between us. And let's say I've done something. <laughs> for some reason, Stephanie's really pissed off with me and she's angry. I can feel my nervous system shut down. Um, I can, um, I have the awareness and the and the insight to be able to recognize it and see what's going on maybe not straight away but definitely soon after it happens mm. 
and and I also have the tools to be able to self-regulate and do what I need to do to get myself into a place where I can I can converse, I can communicate, I can dialogue, I can uh, function. Um, and I don't always do that perfectly. Uh, sometimes it uh, I can have a, an, an emotional reaction to what Stephanie's saying. I can get angry, I can get pissed off. Um, but generally it's it, it's dealt with fairly well I'd say for the most part and you, you might say differently Stephanie no I agree <laughs> you do all right <laughs> but it's no. you know it's interesting and I think this was it surprises me still today where it's like fuck I've done so much work you know mm-hmm. here I am this psychotherapist you know this coach this guy that helps people with all of these issues and mm-hmm. yet this part of me still plays a part in mm-hmm. my life today mm-hmm. and uh, and and it's sometimes not easy. You know, I can easily go into a, a bit of a shame spiral around mm. having this come up, and and sometimes it's not easy for me to be open about. Oh shit! I'm I'm shutting down. I can feel myself mm. uh, closing off or going into freeze mm. uh, or acting uh, from a defensive place. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it takes it take takes me a little bit of sometimes a little bit of a need to withdraw to to withdraw from Stephanie withdraw from the situation to then go okay I can feel myself I'm being activated my nervous system is on edge to then self-regulate do what I need to do to come back to a place where I can I can meet you mm-hmm. um mm. so yeah like I said sometimes I do that better than others mm. <laughs> yeah and so that's one of my biggest experiences, well, definitely the biggest experience with trauma mm-hmm. and how that play has played a really big part in my life and still plays a part today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think you you hold it beautifully and, and you know, you brought up that shame piece and mm-hmm. I think it is the the shame of why, what the hell, I'm a grown man and I'm mm-hmm. still dealing with this mm-hmm. however many years later, I'm still affected by this, I still feel powerless in this that really perpetuates, can perpetuate it and make it more challenging to, to be with. So, yeah, um, yeah and, and whether that's a gendered thing, I don't, you know, I, haven't, yeah. I have a sense that it may be. Definitely. Um, I see that with men a lot, it's like, you know, I should have it all together, yeah. like shooting themselves and have tos and, you know, it's, um, yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. I was just reflecting on that as well. And, and, you know, I don't think it would be too much of a surprise for you as a listener to, to hear that, you know, men ha- haven't necessarily been taught how to do emotional uh, how to do emotions very well. Mm. Yeah. We, we, it's something we have been taught not to do in mm-hmm. fact you know we systematically as you happen to be born with a pair of testicles you are taught not to do emotion mm-hmm. you are taught that your emotions are unvalid and not to be expressed not to be shared with the world yeah mm-hmm. so that most definitely has played a part in my life definitely earlier on in the in the in the case mm-hmm. uh, but also what was very interesting to me in those experiences was how difficult it was for people around me to be with me in my emotion mm-hmm. including you know gps medical doctors mm-hmm. uh 
staff in in hospitals or in the in the medical profession that was supposed to be able to deal with you know mm. this sort of thing uh, but just by the fact that I was a man who was broken who had lost his shit mm. um I could see the discomfort in a lot of people's faces and of course that is also including the people around me you know my my wife at the time found it very difficult family members it wasn't something that i shared and a lot of this was um uh, down to the shame mm. the shame that i felt back then and today it's still there it's still there and and i've done so much work on it but it still plays a part i still f- find it difficult to share those vulnerabilities with the person that i love the most in mm. the world and it's interesting this idea of refraining from sharing um, because you're trying to, you know, that there's shame, you're trying to protect the other person mm-hmm. or whatever your reasons be. Mm-hmm. It's, and yet it's such a palpable thing that you can feel totally. something's going yeah. on and yeah. it's like, Oh, you know, on, on, yeah. you know, so it does without even mentioning it, it creates tension mm-hmm. and, and disconnection. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. What about you? Do you want to share some of your stories? Mm. I was, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I was actually reflecting on trauma and, and the the ways in which it has been a part of my life. And I think I've never actually had, to my knowledge, to my awareness, an acute, you know, experience of, you know, like a, a major experience that has been trauma, uh, traumatizing to me like you have with mm-hmm. your assault but I feel that trauma has played more of a seemingly subtle but still impactful um, part in my life in terms of sexual trauma, putting myself in situations that were either painful or I didn't want to be there. I was disconnected, disassociating from my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know it as trauma at the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't know mm-hmm. that I was traumatizing myself. I just thought that's the way it was. So that's that's been a, um, yeah, that's played a big part in my life. I'd say sexual trauma and, and my healing journey with mm. that. Uh, I, I feel like that probably needs a little more airtime. Don't skip yeah. that. That's, that's some big yeah, stuff that yeah. I think is, is um, such a common experience for a lot of people, particularly mm. women. Yeah. Yeah, I can feel the vulnerability in talking about it and I can feel the even as I mention it, this indulgent self that's like, well, mm-hmm. you know, this is common, you know, this is, in, and actually, yeah, it is a good idea to give a, a bigger voice to this. So, um, yeah, since I was younger, um, a teenager, sexuality, being sexual with others was, it, it, I was never a participant in the experience as in, how I said, how I, I mean, what I mean by that is I would enter into experience and say, yes, you know, I'm down to this. My body wasn't there. Uh, I was disconnected from my, my own feelings. I had experiences that were extremely painful. Um, I was often in physically, painful. physically painful. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was often intoxicated, um, drugs, alcohol, I wasn't fully present and um, my I guess my thought process my belief around that was that sex was for the man you know mm. sex was for the the guy that I was with he it was about his pleasure and 
there was a lot of um, deep, deep unworthiness that I had, I think, accrued from childhood, deep self-loathing that for some reason sex was this way of me finding a certain validation or feeling loved by another person, feeling seen and acknowledged and appreciated. So sex wasn't yeah a mutual experience of pleasure and connection. It was a means for me to feel worthy as a human being, as a woman. Mm. Um, and, um, and I just, I never, I, I grew up with, poor sex education and being taught that I remember learning about STIs and teen pregnancy and men masturbate and have wet dreams. And that's, that's pretty much it. That's all that I can recall. I learned, I I learned the, 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 um, biological, Mm -hmm. you know, this is how babies are made. Um, And how not to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I I never learned about, um, sexual, pleasure for myself, how to negotiate a sexual experience, how to ha- have my communicate my boundaries, how to um, discern and trust my intuition. So yeah, it was very lacking and on top of, you know, different experiences from childhood leading me to, to be in a place where I, I couldn't stand myself. I mm. really, I hated who I was on, on, in every way. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, and I, I think it was my experience of that. I, I spent years entering into sexual experiences that just didn't feel good. It, you know, I, I had all the tricks down pat. I knew how to, what sounds to make, how to appear like I was enjoying myself when really I wasn't there. And, uh, that led to, um, when I turned 21, actually, putting on a whole heap of weight and that was various reasons. There was some eating disorder stuff there, but actually my body was in protection mode. Mm -hmm. And actually what I reflect on that being was my body was saying, I, I'm not safe and I need to create some safety for myself. So the weight was a way that kept me from other people. And that actually was a huge catalyst in me entering into the field of conscious sexuality and relationships and, and learning how to actually speak my boundaries, how to um, how to move the trauma that was in my body, um, and actually be in my body and and feel and experience pleasure. And when I wasn't experiencing pleasure, how to say stop? Mm. You know, how to actually pause or get out of an experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was. Um, I didn't expect to talk about this one. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> gosh, I'm just see, feeling how this could be an episode in itself. Mm. And it, it's um, such an important thing. But mm. I think it's something that every one of us has experienced. Mm. Yeah, I guarantee that you and I and all of us have had an experience, a sexual experience that we've said yes to for dot, dot, dot reason. And you're actually a no to you don't want to be there Mm. you are your body is saying no um and regardless of whether this is for a male or a female and i think uh an, an important point to make here is that this is not necessarily a gendered thing mm. and of course 
when we look at statistics, there's definitely uh, a, a vast majority of rapes experienced by females. Um, but again, this is, uh, uh, of course, not to um, lower the impact of rape at all, but there are, there's a spectrum of consensual sexual activity. And of course, rape is right up the one end of the spectrum and sexual abuse is right up that other end of the spectrum. But there are levels of non-consensual sexual activity that create trauma. And then they can absolutely happen to men as much as they can happen to women. So Mm -hmm. I think, but yet I don't believe that we as men do a great job of acknowledging that. Mm. And and I also don't believe that women do mm. a great job of acknowledging men's trauma in that as well. So I I think it's not to play any competition around this. This is definitely not what this is. But I think it's important to acknowledge that this happens to all of us. Mm. And of course, we all have a part to play in that. Mm. Yeah, that was quite a, a a bit of a tangent going into that. As you said, I think we could make a whole... Mm a whole podcast mm. episode on, on sexual trauma. Yeah. Um, what I thought we could get into would be relationship trauma mm. and just how, what, what part that plays in, in what part trauma plays in relationship and yeah. how that can look, mm. um, how, yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm happy to speak into that right now around, yeah, can I just mention that I think, you know, what we're talking about, obviously we've mentioned a couple of uh, pretty bigger, or, or I guess the, the the larger end of the spectrum of traumas. Um, but com- coming back to what we were saying at the beginning is that tra- trauma is experienced across a spectrum. And a lot of what, particularly as we go into talking about relational trauma, a lot of what we experience or have experienced, which has been a trauma in, our, in, our, in the way we relate, has come from our childhood, our early childhood experiences. And what's important when we're talking about childhood trauma, and again, this exists across a spectrum, but what we, want to, we need to recognize is that this trauma happened to a child and so therefore that child's perspective is what creates the trauma it's it's not necessarily the action itself which creates the trauma it's the way it it can be the way in which the child responds to the action to Mm -hmm. the experience Mm -hmm. where the trauma then gets um implanted into their body into their nervous system into their emotional body Mm -hmm. for instance abandonment Mm -hmm. yeah abandonment can look like many different things and i often use the example of you know let's say a child is crying and wants wants a cuddle wants love wants um some form of soothing and yet for whatever reason that parent be it father father or mother uh puts the baby down in the crib and walks out of the room and closes the door Mm. yeah we were talking about how that was such a common practice to help a child sleep Mm. not for not so long ago this was definitely a part of my parenting experience um that was what we were 
taught to do mm. <laughs> as parents to uh, con- control crying, mm. I think it was called. Mm. Yeah, uh, how we would. Uh, if a child is finding it hard to go to sleep and they they need their parents or whatever for whatever reason they're crying, you're just taught to put that baby down, pat them on the back and walk out. Mm-hmm. And that child at that moment, who, let's face it, a child, a baby, depends on their parents for life. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they've that parent has walked out on them. Their only means of communicating being the criers mm. and they will cry and cry and cry and then learn that actually this is not getting anywhere. I need to disassociate. I need to cut myself off. Mm. This is not working for me. Silence actually is going to, is my only means for this. Mm. You know, there's a disconnection that happens. So, um, and how this can relate later in our relationships is, yeah, this child, uh, childlike fear of being abandoned. Mm. You know, I've had this experience not so long ago, actually, of feeling like Nick's actions in our relationship, it felt like he was abandoning me. And the places that I went with that was, um, yeah, a very traumatic spiral into not being able to sleep or eat um, really going into quite a severe space of, um, not being able to take care of myself actually. So it was almost like childlike, totally. you know, and, and, um, and that can be incredibly hard for both people to be with, Mm, you know, mm. in this instance it was, it Mm. was, um, yeah, it's, uh, and, and in this as well, you know, it was a, a very challenging experience and it also, we got to learn tools to actually be with this and mm. and how to be with trauma um yeah. with each other with ourselves you mm. know i learned how i can regulate myself the ways in which it works for me and, and maybe it's worth mentioning some of those now and mm. as we said before this isn't medical advice it's just some of the tools that mm. i've found effective you found effective yeah i think before let's before we go there i just want to so basically what we know from research that is is uh fairly recent um when you look at research done by people like bessel van der kolp and peter levine um the body keeps the score that's those books are amazing you know really really worth reading uh, and give us a great level of insight into what's happening in those experiences of trauma um, and how that then plays out in our in our life. Mm. So, you know, just very simply, the trauma is is literally implanted in our body, in our musculature, in our in our nervous system. Uh, when you think of a wild animal that gets chased by a predator when they get to the place of safety and the and the and the chase ends uh what that wild animal will do is shake they're shaking their body basically their nervous system has been activated their fight or flight system has been activated to get them into a place of safety and the shaking that occurs afterwards is basically dispelling all of that built up adrenaline and cortisol that is in the body. Mm-hmm. But we don't do that, you know. Mm. We're taught to be quiet and and shut down and you know if you if you experience a trauma the 
you know, the first responders are going to give you medicines to, to calm you down and sedate you. Mm. So we're not given the freedom to be able to, or the knowledge, you know, we don't have the knowledge to do this, to be able to shake and move our body and mm. let go of the trauma that's built up in our body. Mm-hmm. So when, for instance, like we're talking about the abandonment trauma that, you know, I definitely have some levels of, Stephanie has as well. And I think it's probably one of the most common mm. uh, childhood traumas that we can experience uh, that, then, that then really plays a part in our relationships and in our intimate relationships. Um, when we feel in that moment that there's a possibility of being abandoned, we regress back to that time when Mm -hmm. that original trauma happened. Mm. So we do literally become a little boy or a little girl that is scared of being abandoned. Mm. And so we're not acting, we're not relating as an adult Mm -hmm. in that moment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and you would have felt that experience. I I mean, I felt it with you Mm. at times, you feeling, it's like all of a sudden I'm in the room with a little boy. Totally. And it's it's very... um, discombobulating (laughs) you know it's like you're this grown man that i know (laughs) to be a certain way and he why do i feel like you're this little boy who can't take care of himself totally and it's easy to to be ashamed of that and to shame that yeah Mm -hmm. to shame that part of the other person Mm. which of course what does that do creates more trauma puts that puts that little boy deeper into the recesses of his psyche and mm. that grown up psyche and will hide and hide and create all different ways of protecting himself. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Nick mentioned one of the most useful tools, um, can be shaking. Mm-hmm. So just moving the body, mm-hmm. getting into the body and, and, and dropping into your, I'd like to say your animal body. So it's the part that your mind's not controlling it. It's yeah. the primal part of yourself that knows how to actually move this through your body. Mm-hmm. Um, another tool that I find really useful, and this is actually very valid in my experience. I spoke of not being able to eat or sleep and actually getting worked up into this place where I, yeah, I wasn't able to take care of myself. It mm. felt, and this is a funny thing because I've just recommended shaking, but actually any movement or intense shaking in that instance for me was um, almost um, making it worse. Mm. So there's some instances where that actually doesn't feel effective. And in that instance, co-regulating with someone was my my absolutely like my absolute savior. What do you so, mean by that? So regulating myself through touching someone else, mm-hmm. through breathing, mm-hmm. matching my breath with someone mm-hmm. else. Um, uh, got this amazing, amazing practitioner, Booster Radvik. Um, he and his partner, Rachel, they teach belly to belly. Mm-hmm. So that's actually lying uh, in, a, in a lying position, belly to belly, touching someone and simply sinking your breaths together mm. And in, in that instance where I had worked myself up so much that I, I wasn't functioning well, um, doing that with someone, being with someone, feeling them, it was almost like I was borrowing their nervous system mm. and regulating myself. Mm. So co, co-regulation. Yeah. 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 Um, I think something that's useful for me 
in recognizing what you just talked about is mm. if I'm in an extremely hot state, if we look at our states of being as being hot or cold, mm. so a hot state would be highly anxious, highly, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> highly activated in my emotions. I want to cool down. I want to mm. put water on the fire to cool my down. Yeah. yeah. And the opposite is the case when I'm in a cool state, which when we're talking about trauma can often be a dissociative state, mm -hmm. um, Numb. a numbness, a, a checking out uh, or a freeze response. Mm. Often we want to heat up. We want to heat up the nervous system. Mm. So movement, vigorous exercise, bashing pillows, uh, screaming, that sort of stuff is going to get us back into the body. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that temperature. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've never looked at it that way. I've I've always viewed it as like hypervigilant, mm -hmm. which is the hot that mm -hmm. you described, and hypovigilant, mm -hmm. which is the the cold. Yeah. So um yeah, in each in people have different reactions and they they look very different. Um, the and you'll be able to learn your partner's patterns in many mm. ways, your own definitely, but your partner will have different places they go say hypovigilant or cool will look like glazed eyes yep. um almost like not breathing you know yep. it's, a, it's there's a stillness there's a then the lights are on but no one's home mm -hmm. um it can and be that, avoiding eye contact totally and that can be confused with uh aloofness mm. yeah mm -hmm. uh, or that sort of stonewalling avoidant avoidant mm. uh uh, behavior which of course it can definitely be that but it could also be that your partner is actually just in a trauma state yeah and they're activated they're they actually quite incapable of um of speaking of communicating of responding to you mm -hmm. so of course in if they're in that state the worst thing you can do is escalate your voice your your volume and keep on at that person to respond to you yeah what we want to do is actually recognize and maybe put a hand on them mm. a hand on their hand or on their arm or on their shoulder and say it's okay i'm with you mm. that's all you need to say mm. and and that could be enough to bring that person back and recognize okay I'm, I've, I've checked out mm -hmm. i'm in a free state here. yeah and it is really a practice especially you know for yourself to recognize when you're in a state like that sometimes you know we we really need other people mm -hmm. we we need support from others and this you know this kind of um we need to be everything for ourselves and mm. self empowerment mm. and you know it, it's it's missing the point that we actually are um communal beings who need others to, to function to excel mm -hmm. in life mm -hmm. to to be healthy so yeah don't underestimate the the need uh of, of others in in these experiences mm -hmm. and um yeah and but for yourself as well as i said it's like it's this practice of like oh i can feel myself going numb I, I've been in those spaces where I'm fully checked out and it takes so much drive or will or something far greater than mm -hmm. me to actually be like, just shake, like just yeah. move your body. Just like, uh, you know, every part of me, almost every part of me wants to shut down mm -hmm. and just, you know, go numb, curl into a ball and, and pretty much die. It feels, you totally. know, and just go small. And it's, it, it does take, 
a practice and a will to actually start start the engine mm. up, start moving, start yeah, adding some fire, some heat. Yeah. Mm. I mean we had that experience the other night. It was very fresh in our in our world. Yeah, yeah. Where we were lying in bed and we we're having quite a heated discussion about stuff. There's lots of emotion present and we hit a point where it's like Stephanie's in freeze, I'm in freeze, we're both n- recognizing that we're not getting anywhere from this place mm. <laughs> and stephanie took the her will recognize where she was she stood up got out of bed started shaking and i was i was in some ways resistant to to doing the same but i was like okay no nick come on you got to get up move your body yeah. and so i did the same i got up i started shaking i i bashed some pillows um, from that place, there was quite a lot of tears that came through for me, so mm. which I wasn't able to r- release in that previous state because I was shut down. Mm. I was shut down. I wasn't in a place where I could actually allow my emotion to move. Um, and just by taking that action, we were ba- both able to come back to A, a better place of connection in ourself and mm. B, a better place of connection with each other. Yeah and speak to each other, convert, converse with each other, feel each other. Mm. Um, I think one of the hardest things for us to do in this is that is taking that decisive action, not only for ourselves but for each other, to mm-hmm. go, okay, I'm not getting anywhere, I need to change something. Yeah. I need to do something. Yeah, if you find yourself looping, if you find yourself in conversations or discussions that just you can feel the tension building you can mm-hmm. feel things are not getting anywhere mm-hmm. and and how you know that is things are feeling shitter like yeah. it's as simple as that it's like this is not feeling supportive um and then recognizing that and then what can we do about it in this point with um booster we've learned some amazing tools around creating safety in your body mm-hmm. using your hands together with your partner pushing them away in a in you know in a controlled um safe way you know this is not violence this is actually healthy Mm -hmm. um somatic experiencing creating safety in your body um yeah and and it, it works wonders it stops the looping like i remember we've had things that we've been looping for months in and it's taken a few moments of actually dropping into our bodies and and moving them in a way that creates our own safety and from that place actually being able to to speak and and, and emote and move through totally. our pain mm. i think the important thing is like we've already mentioned a few times but just to really really emphasize this is that emotion and trauma is a is an embodied experience Mm -hmm. it's something in the body so therefore when we're in strong emotion when our trauma is activated we cannot think ourselves out Mm -hmm. of that emotion we need to move ourselves out of that emotion we need to emote we need to do something to move the energy to move that that feeling inside of us Mm. and so anything that is an embodied experience of movement of uh rather than trying to analyze and mind fuck ourselves into a place that just doesn't work. Mm. Um, and of course we end up being horrible to each other from that place. Mm. Yeah, we end Re-traumatizing up, yeah, each other and, and ourselves. And fighting for the position of rightness. Mm. Um, and it doesn't work. <laughs> it just causes more problems. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I think just something to note, I think you did say this before, but really, really highly recommend if you recognize that your partner is showing signs of being in some kind of trauma state, whether that's they're, they're feeling erratic or hypervigilant, hot, like they're just, you know, amping up or if they've checked out, don't keep talking, mm. just stop, mm. just stop talking and encourage them to come back to their body that can involve touch, that can involve breath, um, that can involve movement and not continuing a conversation mm-hmm. until you're regulated, both of you. Yeah. Um, that's the biggest takeaway. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> definitely, yeah. definitely. And, you know, just for other resources, I mentioned before, uh, Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, um, Waking the Tiger, Peter Levine. There's some amazing resources out there. Um, and... IFS, Internal Family Systems, uh, is a great therapeutic model where we get to look at all of the different parts of ourself Mm. that play certain roles in our psyche. Um, It's really great to be able to identify these different parts, like we talked about uh, the child, the inner child. Mm. Another methodology that I do uh, quite a bit of work with comes from Terry Real and Relational Life Institute, where we look at the wounded child and the adaptive child, recognizing that they're two distinct children. One received the wound, one learnt to adapt, learnt to change their behavior so not to receive the wound again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're really great, um, I guess, resources, psychotherapeutic resources to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, lot of really good stuff out there. Yeah, and just want to presence, if if you are listening to this and it stirred some things up for you, you're feeling like you need some support, um, feel free to reach out to either myself Mm. or Nick and we can point you in the right direction that may include work with either of us if that feels aligned and it could be, you know, book recommendations or a hotline or, or something like that. So just please reach out if you feel impacted. Totally. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap. Yes. Yes. I believe so. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks yeah. for staying with us. This yep. has been, yeah, it's not a, it's not a, a light subject. So mm. it does, yeah, I, I can feel how it feels in my body right now. And mm. um, I'm sure that the same is probably present for you guys in your own way. So, yeah, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. You know, this is not something we have to do alone is to work with these things. I think as a, as a couple, as a, in a partnership, in a relationship and as friends, let's look out for each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's really have those, those challenging conversations and, and recognize that, wow, actually we are, we're all human. We're all trying to work this shit out together and we've all got our stuff that we're carrying through life and Mm. which, which, makes it harder sometimes Hmm. so let's uh let's be compassionate let's love each other let's take let's carry each other to the best that we can be yeah beautiful Hmm. thanks guys thanks for tuning in thank you bye